Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is done. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. Live long and prosper. the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian Mr. Todd A. Davis. Math teacher, trekker, scorekeeper, and bane of my existence. From the BQN Network, it's Counselor Amy Nelson. Yay! Yay. Hi! Hi, here I am on your podcast. Yes, yes. Uh... Uh, so first question right off the bat, why do you hate me so much, Amy? I mean, come on. Like, um, I, I there, there were times I clearly rang in first so many times, Amy. <laughs> um, I think I gave you a half point for something. So come on now. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Okay. So Beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's the rules. Uh, yeah. For anybody who doesn't know. Uh, what we're talking about. Uh, I uh, Both of us were on Trexpert's quiz. That was a few months ago now. Mm-hmm. And uh, Amy was very kind to carve out the time to be the scorekeeper uh, for me versus Matt Jennings. And I, I lost horribly. <laughs> not, only, not only did I lose, I went back and counted up all the ones that I knew and just didn't buzz in fast enough i still would have lost (laughs) oh my goodness oh wow he put me under the table like he's he's he knows his stuff he really yeah and he was fast he was really sharp and yeah (laughs) oh yeah he's quick on the draw for sure for sure so um amy uh for folks who maybe aren't uh as familiar with you um how do you what what is your connection to the Star Trek podcasting world. Wow. Well, as I was telling you earlier off mm-hmm. air, yeah. I started seven years ago. It was just after the 50th. So it was a uh, 2017 mm-hmm. and Discovery was coming on and I had just finished a rewatch of TOS and I was asked to join a Trek FM podcast network. And I was on there for a good three years. I was hosting, what was it called? Oh yeah. I was hosting Earl Grey, which is specifically next gen. And then I got to launch the edge, which had many shows and it was covering discovery. So I was on the main show and then I created what is called postcards from the edge. And that was a fan response show where I got, and so I really got to know all the fans that were listening to these podcasts. And from there, I've since then created my own network, BQN, and still continue my podcast there. Of course, I have to talk about Next Gen because that is my favorite. Um, so that's Galaxy Class, and then there's All Good Things, and and then people just sort of started coming on and 
we've got a network of at least eight shows right now and more in the works. That's awesome. So, uh, first of all, uh, as someone who, uh, created and produced their own show, my hat's off to you because that is an insane amount of work. Most people will never know just how much work one of these little ditties no, uh, takes. I, I know. <laughs> and pretty much the entire time I've been podcasting, I have always at a minimum had two shows. Oh, Most of the time, three <laughs> different shows that are coming out weekly. I mean, I don't know where, what was I thinking? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, uh, so I guess we'll, we'll take a slight step back. Um, you're, you're also, I mentioned in your intro, you're a math teacher. So I assume is that, is that full-time or that is full-time? Yes. I've been teaching 23 years. I've done nine years of middle school and the rest in high school. I taught in uh, Utah, Texas and Nevada. Jeez Louise. That's awesome. Well, thank you for your service. Uh, it's, (laughs) that's a, uh, that's a tough job. That's a real tough job. And I mean, (laughs) I imagine of the things, uh, to teach that particular age group math probably isn't, uh, the one everybody's super keen to, uh, to to get to, (laughs) I know, uh, I'll, I'll speak from my own experience. Uh, you know, English literature, phys ed acting class. Yeah, I'm down. Chemistry, math, oh, the yeah. science. No, no, not so much. <laughs> not so much. Um, so so you're a big fan of Star Trek. You're podcasting. You're teaching full time. When did Star Trek first come into your life? What were I, I won't I won't ask your age, but you said you're a big fan of TNG. <laughs> were you introduced to TNG first or something else? Absolutely. I didn't even know of original series, uh, raised by a single mother and next gen started coming on. And I remember I was going to go to my friend's house and it, uh, Star Trek was playing on the TV Sunday at 6 PM. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, Hey, come watch this show. You'll, you'll really like it. And I sat down cause I had like a half hour. And so I sat down, I was like, this is pretty good. So my mother introduced me to this science fiction show and she really only likes next gen. She, and she's not big sci-fi, but that was one that stick with her. Yeah. And so now I've got it. And then when I started teaching, I wanted to decorate my room to show your personality and make a nice warm environment. So I started decorating with Star Trek stuff and through Fun. the years, Todd, like every open house parents come in. And then a few days later, every year I've had a student come in. Uh, my dad was saw that you like Star Trek and I have a Picard cutout. I have original uh, artwork. I have photography. Um, it's so amazing. I have coloring books and stamps from like the sixties. And it's so cute. Cause everyone's like Star Trek. Like, if you don't know, Star Trek is just big. Yeah. But I like next gen, but people don't really know that. So I have a bunch of TOS stuff. It's hilarious. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. So not big on, I mean, I assume at this point, you've probably watched original series and probably gone through the legacy Trek, the TNG, Deep Space Nine, Voyager and Enterprise, correct? I'm Voyager's my last one that I've got to watch all the way through. 
Okay. It's Deep yeah. Space Nine for me. Oh. Um, yeah. I, st- I still haven't finished Deep Space Nine. <laughs> okay. So don't your listeners give you a hard time? That's the reason I had to do a, a watch of Deep Space Nine because all the listeners like, you need to watch Deep Space Nine. I'm like, all right, that's it. I'm going to do it. And then I sort of podcasted a little bit, my thoughts and stuff. So yeah, my um, listeners get on me and they're like, come on, Nelson. So recently, um, well, last week I was in Los Angeles for Shuttle Pod Show Live and I uh, was emceeing sort of crowd warm up, you know, before they came on to do their thing. And I was asking some questions, you know, some softball stuff. Hey, you know, favorite characters, favorite episodes, whatever. And I asked favorite episode. Um, was it favorite episode or favorite series? I think I may have asked favorite series and people were going through, you know, listing a couple different things, a lot of enterprise because it's an enterprise you right. know, based event. But uh, I mentioned I mentioned that I had not finished Deep Space Nine, not that I didn't like it or that I hadn't seen it at all. I just hadn't finished it yet. Mm. And someone heckled me. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it was, and it was, and it wasn't kind either. It was just like, oh yeah, I just I hadn't finished that yet. Idiot. It was like, wow. Jeez, wow. okay. <laughs> give me a, give me some time. <laughs> Who made um, him president of the fan club? I mean, he was gonna reject your card. Ah, uh, clearly. Yeah. Oh man. But yeah, it's I people get like people get like really, really amped up about about their star trek like mm-hmm. it, even if it's more than a series or even if it's if it's just the one series because i was i was pretty hardcore tng for a good long while i just i um i hadn't been introduced to tos i didn't get to tos till much later i mean i was aware of it but um sort of raised on tng and uh yeah um i've mentioned it before counselor deanna troy was <clears throat> very um Mm-hmm. very important uh, element in the raising of young Todd A. Davis. <laughs> hey, hey, young man, how do we feel about this? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> so um, if you watch TNG, then why did you not continue Deep Space Nine and Voyager and Enterprise at the original time? Well, uh, so I watched, I, I mean, I think I watched TNG when it was, I mean, cause it went straight to syndication pretty much. Um, so I watched a lot of that, but I wasn't religious about it. Mm. Um, so when deep space nine came out, I was still, I was still pretty young and I was just kind of like, they're not on a ship. I don't, I don't really care. It, it's a, it's a, uh, I think for a long time I was like, it's a shopping mall in space. I, I don't care about that. Um, <laughs> but you know, as I went along, it's just like, you know what? A lot of people love deep space nine. Um, I'm a little older now it's on Netflix back when it was on Netflix. I was like, you know what? Let's, you know, let's start going through it. And I got into it and it was kind of my before bed would watch one or two. And I don't know what happened, but at some point, uh, it was either we went on vacation or I got, I got out of the routine of of putting it on at night and for whatever reason, never finished it. I I think, I think I made it to the last season. I think I was in the last season and just never finished it. Yeah. Um, I, and then I got into enterprise once the wife and I got together, um, I was working nights uh downtown uh the local county jail so i would get home at 
eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning. She had already gone to work, mm. but we had one of those DVR, you know, systems from our local cable company and uh, enterprise was already enterprise was already in syndication. Mm. So uh, that was, I, I stumbled across enterprise and was like, Oh, this is, this is a star Trek show. Oh, okay. And then just kind of like, it was, it was really cool. Like I dug the aesthetics of the ship, the, you know, the uniforms had pockets and, you know, Scott Bakula was there and it was just kind of, it was sort of like a, it was like a grittier, like mm-hmm. lo-fi version of star Trek. And I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm down for this. So yeah. Um, and yeah, once stuff got no- loaded up to Netflix, I, I binged, uh, the original series, which I really enjoyed. Um, but yeah, how did how did how did you wind up, you know, eventually uh, getting into TOS? I assume you did watch TOS. Yeah, I have watched it twice, and and Todd, I don't know what's wrong with my brain. Um, I know I have seen every episode twice, and you could name off an episode, and I will have no recollection. It is the <laughs> weirdest thing, and I mean, I've seen episodes of Voyager once or even twice. And I can somewhat pick it out, but TOS is just it. Nothing sticks, nothing sticks to my brain. So I for sure. Okay. So, uh, star Trek Oh nine. Okay. That big announcement. And my brother was really into TOS and he had all three seasons on DVD just regular. There was no HD, no Blu-ray original. Right, right. So he in the dark, lent- the dark ages. <laughs> I know, right? So he lent me his DVD. So I watched all three seasons before 09. Mm-hmm. And then for the 50th, again, because I don't remember anything, I'm like, I'm going to watch this again. And we were going through uh, each episode and I was, you know, sort of podcasting and talking about it with others. And even now I still can't remember. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, it's, you know, I, all that to say folks, any entry point into the fandom is a good entry point. I I've talked with folks. I'm sure you have too, who are like, are you a star Trek fan? Yes. I saw that JJ Abrams movie, just the yeah. one. And, uh, and yeah, I'm a fan. Or there's other folks, other side of the coin. Of, I've watched everything mm-hmm. multiple times. I've read books and, you know, the whole the whole shebang. Yeah, I'm a fan. And it's all valid. It's all great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've discussed a little bit of Legacy Trek and TOS. So mm-hmm. I assume you watched uh, Discovery like as it was loading up because that was roughly around the time that you were starting your podcast. What did you think of the shift from the shift from, I guess it would have been Voyager or Enterprise to Discovery? Because, I mean, that was a big, a, a lot of things changed there. If if you don't count the Kelvin timeline, that's a big shift in um, the presentation, uh, the production, uh, the narrative structure, all of that stuff is different. What were your initial thoughts watching Discovery? Yeah, it it was tough in part because I was podcasting. And so there was sort of an expectation to put forth not, I'm not going to say a positive, but a constructive criticism or, and to explain why I liked it or why I didn't like it. And I, I remember trying to like it, having the big 
season arcs is so difficult. Um, and that was my biggest hurdle to get over. Okay. Um, the, and oh, season one of discovery, the spinning. Oh, Todd, do not get me started on the camera and the spinning. Okay. It drove me crazy. That was my number one complaint. <laughs> um, but how gorgeous was it? The music, the having Trek on TV again, yeah. the bringing it all together and the actors, they were so big into promoting and living here in Las Vegas. I, of course, go to STLV. And right before it, it launched, they were all there, STLV. We got to meet them. There was this relationship that they built with the fans. And for those reasons, I love Discovery. It's great. Season four is my absolute favorite. Season mm. one is my second. Like number one was my favorite season until season four. And everyone's like, oh, season two is better. I'm like, mm, no, Captain Lorca, man. He, he's my guy. He's my guy. So yeah, <laughs> that it's, it's been so interesting seeing what the producers and specifically Alex Kurtzman is doing with Star Trek. And mm. I absolutely love it. This is truly idic. We are getting the diverse storytelling, the diverse, right? Live and animated. So we're getting episodic. We're getting season long arcs. Like they're we're getting it all. And yeah. that is it. That is diversity. And I love it. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're hitting the nail on the head. It's I've, um, I've championed uh, the new Trek stuff uh, for the diversity, not only in front of the camera, but behind the camera as well. Um, you know, the writer rooms and the pool of directors, you still have a lot of journeyman directors, but it's, they're, they are from every walk of life. They are from every different avenue of production. Um, we've seen folks who have stage play background. We've seen folks with soap opera background. We've seen film, television, procedurals, shorts, animation. Uh, all of these folks uh, are now having their hands in the Star Trek pot and it and the franchise is that much better for it. I I have really, really enjoyed everything that they've done with with New Trek, um, except for Short Treks. And my issue with Short Treks is I wish there were more of them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Every time there's a break, I'm like, why can't we have Short Treks? They were the cutest, perfect little bites that got us over, that filled in, that it's yep. like, I didn't know I needed this, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I... Uh, because uh, they had a couple of animated ones. Hell, Rain Wilson directed one. Yes. Uh, you know, all of these folks. And I think a few episodes back, uh, I had a discussion with, you know, wouldn't it be cool if some of these bigger sci-fi directors were given, hey, you've got 15 minutes in the Star Trek universe. What do you want to do? You know, and just, oh my <laughs> just, gosh. Let him, just let them do it. Did you ever... I mean, I don't know if this would even be, you know, on your radar at all. Do you remember the show Masters of Horror back no. from? Okay. So it was early, early, mid 2000s, I think. Um, there was this show on Showtime called Masters of Horror. And it was these legendary horror directors given an hour on Showtime, which meant no MPAA, no ratings board. And they just said, 
as long as it fits in 59 minutes, you got it. Wow. And they cranked out, they cranked out some of the best horror, you know, horror stuff that I'd seen in a long, long time. Mm. Um, I mean, John Carpenter was one of them. Uh, I think John Landis did one. Uh, there, uh, There's a whole thing out there. It's really, really great. But I really kind of wish, you know, everything's, they're batting a thousand. Star, the Paramount, Star Trek, CBS, the whole group, they're all batting a thousand. So at this point, let's take a risk. Let's, you know, say, hey, let's do a Masters of Horror version, but let's let that be our short treks and just give, mm -hmm. you know, the, with the, with the only rules being like, you got to use our actors, our sets, it's got to fit in canon, but you've got 15 minutes to do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so with a few, with a few minor rules, I think they could, can you imagine if like Guillermo del Toro right. did a short trek? I mean, oh my God, that would be so awesome. He already has an existing relationship with Doug Jones. So, right, yeah. oh man, it's, you know. I keep waiting for my phone to ring, you know, yeah. for uh, Kurtzman or somebody at Paramount to just be, oh, hey, uh, we just wanted to get some more details on that thing. That you um, yeah, that it's about. a brilliant idea. And sort of to your point, I, one thing I also love about this new Trek is that so many people working on Trek are fans themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can really see that in the writing and the Easter eggs and the tie-ins. And you're like, oh my gosh, who would have even thunk that? Like, and they're yeah. getting, you know, these science and physics advisors that are Star Trek fans. It's yeah. so cool. Yeah, really. I mean, it's kind of nice to know that the folks at NASA have a nice little retirement gig of getting a job with Star Trek. Uh, but yeah, you know, to listen to uh, the wife and I went to uh, Dragon Con this past summer, and we were in the panel there with um, Ethan, Jess, and Anson Mount. And to hear that guy talk about Star Trek, you're like, oh, one of us, one of us. <laughs> it's clear he's a huge Star Trek fan. Not to mention, like you said, uh, all the little Easter eggs, it's, that's that's Lower Decks to a T. And you can, t it is such a love letter to mm -hmm. the entire franchise uh, anybody who's like oh because i've had people who's just like oh that's not star trek i'm like you clearly don't know what star trek is then <laughs> <laughs> it's i mean the enterprise d has what over a thousand crew members yeah something like that and we're focused on seven of them do you yeah. honestly think there's not somebody like rutherford and boimler and uh and tendy and uh and mariner you know, they're in some hallway where they've got bunks, you know, talking about the noise that the engine makes. Yes, the hum <laughs> of the engine puts me to sleep. <laughs> of course, of course. So, you know, getting back into Discovery, this episode, we're kind of at a we're kind of at a crucial point in a lot of different things. You know, we've got a lot of stuff going on on the ship itself with uh Stamets and Colber and Tilly's, you know, in there as well. Saru's kind of trying to manage where he fits in the command structure, but also trying to manage all these different things that are happening. You've got Burnham and Tyler and now Lorca going over to meet the emperor of the Terran Empire, which we saw was, is Philippa Giorgio, mirror universe Philippa Giorgio. Um, there's a lot going on here. So 
uh, I, and you've already said that you've seen Discovery before. So this rewatch, what, what was your, what was your initial thoughts jumping back into this episode? My initial thoughts were, wow, there are so many storylines yeah. going in on this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and again, that was another hurdle of, you know, getting over this. And I mean, yeah, just like you were saying, and like Laurel and the Vogue Ash Tyler, I was like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot all about that. The hype of that for the whole season was so much fun. Oh yes. my gosh, it was so much fun. And just seeing Laurel, oh my gosh, back on screen. I so wish that they would have done a spinoff with her somehow. Maybe they will. Let's get her back into section 31. Like, we need to see Mary Chipo back again. Mm, um, and absolutely. Lorca, there is a prime Lorca out there. Come on. I really believe that Pike can find Lorca. Just saying. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. yeah I think, um, yeah, bringing in, integrating those characters, even if it's just briefly into strange new worlds would be such a great call. Um, Jason Isaacs absolutely crushes. Mm-hmm. as as Lorca I I am so just riveted to the screen when he's on when he's on and doing his thing same with Michelle Yeoh I mean it's no secret you know she's having a great year and it looks like you know mm-hmm. award season is going to be even better for her um but you know I I dove into her into her CV uh not too long ago when she made her first appearance in the timeline and started looking over all the stuff in her resume. It is extensive and impressive. Um, so when she's on screen, same same thing. I am just so captivated, and I hang on every word that she says. So I, you know, I really do hope that we get more with some version of Lorca. Uh, it's, it's, it's gotta be prime. It's gotta be prime Lorca. Um, and more with George O. Cause I, you know, now that we, you know, spoilers for way down the line, we know that she ends up getting involved with section 31 and, and all of those things. But, uh, you know, at the end of season four, she exits, uh, pretty definitively. So it would be kind of cool to see her come back in some form or fashion. Mary Chifo, no slouch, like, She's every time she is on screen, even though she is buried under prosthetics and, you know, and latex and the whole thing and has the the stuff in her mouth, but she's just a magnet. You, you just, you can't not watch her. You can't, she's, she's doing stuff with her eyes that are just, that are, that just draw you in and pierce your soul at the same time. Like mm-hmm. she's so, so good. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot going on in this episode, a lot of different relationships, a lot of different storylines. But before we get any deeper, let's get to this week's recap. Brought to you in part by our Patreon supporters, Rev J, Jerry Antimano, Cosmic Crit, Kitty B, and David Willett. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This feels like a reckoning. Your captain is dead. Emperor Giorgio. She's a ghost. Haven't you ever been afraid of a ghost? Tyler is in distress. So be it. That is war. All hail the Emperor. 
think I'm gonna bow to you? I don't bow. You always tried to outsmart me, Michael. Why were you lying to me? On the space bus from the ISS Shinzu to Charon, Burnham engages the autopilot and tends to Lorca, who's sitting restrained at the back of the craft. Before they left Discovery, Saru decrypted the data on the USS Defiant and transferred the mostly redacted data to Burnham. Lorca suggests that Burnham should look for the info in the original file aboard the Charon. She takes out a hypospray and administers an analgesic on Lorca to numb his nervous system in case he's tortured. Lorca assures Burnham of her ability and reminds her that Giorgio of her universe has died and describes Giorgio as a mere ghost. Burnham counters Lorca by asking if he's ever been afraid of ghosts. And on that note, we cue the music. condition improves after Tilly began treating him with a sporal therapy. Tilly informs Saru about Stamets' improvements with sporal therapy, but Saru doesn't share her optimism. Inside the mycelial network, Stamets meets his counterpart from the other universe. Stamets asks his counterpart if he's experiencing an afterlife. After being amused by Stamets' initial confusion, Mirror Stamets reveals they're inside the network. Then they find themselves inside the USS Stamets, an illusory starship that the mycelial network created to resemble discovery to make Stamets feel more at home. How convenient! While walking through the corridors, Mirror Stamets explains that an accident with his research has trapped his neural energy inside the network while his physical body is in a catatonic state. The images Stamets has been seeing while traveling on the network were attempts by Mir Stamets to make contact so that he could escape. While trying to locate the network's exit, they encounter a network corruption. Before the corruption could reach them, they escape to engineering. In the mycelial network, Stamets sees Culber and immediately goes after him, despite his counterparts, calling it an illusion. Meanwhile, on board the Charon, the Imperial Palace, Emperor Giorgio receives Burnham and Lorca. Giorgio invites Burnham to choose a Kelpian standing on the side of the court. Uh? Giorgio senses Burnham's confusion and tells Burnham that she should know what to look for in a Kelpian. Burnham chooses. The Kelpian is then escorted away. Burnham then presents Giorgio with the gift of Lorca. Lorca refuses to bow to Giorgio and is beaten with a scepter, then sentenced to the agonizers for life. Giorgio invites Burnham to dinner as she caresses Burnham's face and calls her dear daughter. Sucks! When Burnham tells Giorgio that the food is delicious, the Emperor reveals that they have been eating Kelpian. Great! Burnham quickly learns that her counterpart in the Mirror Universe was adopted and educated by Giorgio. Giorgio reveals she knew Burnham conspired with Lorca and takes a knife to her neck. Burnham then fails to call her mother as she usually did, which prompts Giorgio to sentence her to death. In front of Giorgio's captains, Burnham admits she's from another universe and gives the Emperor proof, Giorgio's counterpart's badge. Suddenly, the Emperor picks up a device and triggers it, 
immediately killing all but one of her captains and swearing the remaining one to secrecy. Whoa, that was close. <laughs> Theroux goes to Laurel, gives her food, and asks about Tyler. Laurel is proud, saying that he has awoken and is a devoted warrior that will light the way to victory. Saru then explains where they are, that there the war is over and they are both in jeopardy. Laurel relents, explaining what they did to Tyler and Voke, and that Voke accepted his suffering. Meanwhile, Samet pursues Colbert and eventually reaches him in their quarters. Colbert confirms he's dead. Saru shows Laurel what Tyler is doing to himself and asks her to help him. She agrees, but only if it's her performing the operation. Meanwhile, Burnham appeals to the Emperor to help them get back to their universe. She explains the crew of the Defiant went insane and killed each other. Giorgio wants to know how Discovery made it to their universe, and they make a deal. Lorca's being tortured when Maddox enters and proudly informs him they've rounded up all of his loyalists. He wants Lorca to admit what he did to Maddox's sister, or else he'll kill another of his allies. Meanwhile, Laurel holds a device on Tyler's head, which eventually makes him calm down. He starts to describe his past in English, which makes her cry out as if he had died. Stamets and Colber relive the memory of them telling each other about their day. Colber says Stamets was right about the network, but his counterpart is corrupting the network and Stamets must save it. Stamets is only partly interested, not wanting to say goodbye. They kiss and Colber tells him to look for a clearing. Stamets' counterpart then wakes up on Sharon while Stamets wakes up on Discovery. Meanwhile, Giorgio starts to argue that Lorca is actually the mirror universe Lorca, noting his sensitivity to light. Recalling all of Lorca's behaviors that match Giorgio's descriptions, Burnham realizes that she's right and that the mirror Lorca needed Burnham to get to Giorgio. Meanwhile, Lorca fakes death and Maddox rushes to get him out of the agonizer booth in fear that the Emperor will punish him for killing her prisoner. Once he's in a compromised position, Lorca attacks and ultimately kills Maddox. Hovering over his body, Lorca says, Ava, her name was Ava, and I liked her, but you know how it is. Somebody better came along, revealing that he is, in fact, Mirror Lorca. Oh my gosh, you guys, I am so excited to tell you about this. Hey folks, it's your old pal, Mr. Todd A. Davis here from the Computer Resume Podcast. Get ready to boldly go where, well, thousands have gone before. It's TrekFest 38, yay! June 23rd and 24th in Riverside, Iowa. Hey, is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. Come enjoy all kinds of free activities for you and your whole family. This year's event will feature Chase Masterson from Deep Space Nine, some of the best bands in the area on the Riverside Casino and Golf Resort sponsored main stage, food, drinks, and yours truly will be doing some hosting and emceeing. I'll be upset if you don't come get a selfie with me. For more info about this year's Trek Fest, visit them on Facebook at Riverside Trek Fest or on the web at trekfest.org. That's T-R-E-K-F-E-S-T dot org. Riverside isn't just where the best begins, it's where Trek begins. Now, back to the show. 
so we see that Lorca has been playing the long con here. Um, I thought it was interesting that, you know, as Giorgio was talking about the reasons Lorca is who he is, who he is, we see flashes back to, um, to Lorca and Burnham interacting on discovery and it sort of pieces them together. So we get a little bit of a mystery here being revealed. Um, are you a big fan of the mystery type narratives? I love a good mystery. Um, but this one was kind of, this one was a, this one was a bit of a sleeper. Like if you weren't really ready for it, I, I think maybe the best mystery is one that you didn't know was a mystery until the end. <laughs> what did you what did you think of the reveal here? Yes, I remember exactly my feelings and I have them as you were reading that that clip. Um, that reveal is one of the best sequences because it goes back to the beginning of Lorca capturing her from going to prison. Right. And there are these little clips that just reveal you in. And, and yeah, I didn't know that this was going to be a huge twist, but having that sequence go through connecting the dots and then while mirror Giorgio is connecting them for us, that's uneasy too. So it's uneasy because, oh, Lorca's mirror, but it's uneasy that mirror Giorgio is pointing it out to us. Yeah. Like yeah. it's brilliant. It's tasty. It's yummy. Oh, very much. Very much. Yeah. It's uh boy, you really see, you really see the shift um, there in Lorca where he finally boy you know coming from comedy there's something called committing to the bit and it's it's hard enough to commit to a bit it's really hard to commit to the bit under duress or under extreme pain and not only does it do we see him commit to this bit but we see him commit amidst extreme pain and it's only that it's only when he is free and bested his uh bested his uh antagonizer um that he finally drops the veil yes i do remember her but yeah yeah and then such a such a baller villain move like it's it's so it's so fun and i mean the episode after this we kind of see the two villains at each other you know uh georgio versus Lorca and burnham kind of caught in the middle uh, you know, which just makes me that more, that much more excited to, to revisit that episode. Uh, yeah, this is so much fun going on here. Um, let's shift a little bit and talk about the, uh, the brief reuniting of Culber and Stamets with that very heartwarming teeth brushing scene. Mm-hmm. Um, what, how do we feel about uh, the relationship of Culber and Stamets and everything that's going on with them? Uh, did this did this bring anything up for you? I know I watch this with my wife and when we see stuff with Stamets and Culber, I feel like we hold each other a little bit tighter. Uh, did this bring up anything for you? Yeah, it brought up a lot of emotions because I love seeing their dynamic and the actors themselves love each other. Like Wilson Cruz and Anthony Rapp, they 
together on stage. I've seen them a lot. They just love each other and their chemistry is so amazing. And so I love, yeah, they're brushing their teeth and like Stamets sees them and is going to follow them no matter what mere Stamets, like whatever, this is my goal. Yeah. And, oh, you're making me leave the mycelial network because, oh, it's degrading, but I don't want to, I want to spend time with you. That relationship is so good. Now, my conflict is all of this sci-fi business, mycelial network, Colbert's in it. Uh, is he dead? Uh, is he alive? Now Stamets is in it. Is he dead? Is he alive? There's not a trope of being in a mycelial network in the sci-fi world. Yeah, And yeah. so it is so out there that when I watched this in preparation, I was like, now, what happened? How did we get Colbert back? Why is he in the network? It got convoluted because it's such this amazing out there idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, I think the idea of the mycelial network is a bit of new, new ground, new territory for something like Star Trek, where it's been engines are powered by these crystals and we form a warp bubble and this is concentrated light which forms a phaser beam and you know we've got our little bluetooth connector badges and the whole thing but this is this is a new one and you know with the thing that is uh prevalent now you know with folks microdosing we actually discussed microdosing uh, a few episodes ago and it's been uh interesting to see how the medical community reacts to folks microdosing and uh, other medical benefits, other psychological benefits that are coming from microdosing. Um, and again, we are not advocating anybody uh, microdosing, but uh, you know, because there are documented benefits, please go see your doctor, talk to somebody smarter than me. <laughs> Agreed. About, about these things. Yeah. Thank you, Amy. I appreciate that. Well smarter than you, but yes, go search it out. I mean, yeah. there are benefits to it. Yeah, truly, truly. So yeah, you know, do, do your due diligence and, uh, you know, see what may, uh, what benefits you may draw from it, but it's, it's, this is, this is interesting. So I imagine because we're working with these new sci-fi elements, there's a bit of a learning curve of, Okay, so how did Culber get in the mycelial network, you know, the mycelial network, you know, how is he able to connect him, connect with him there? Is this part of, is this part of Stamets psychology that's just manifesting itself? You know, we don't, we don't really get a lot of answers in terms of that. But of course, we know going down the road. Some of these things are going to be revisited, clarified a bit, and eventually resolved. Uh, but yeah, you know, seeing that, seeing that moment again with them brushing their teeth, I, I think of, you know, the wife and I getting ourselves bowls of cereal and watching Saturday morning cartoons. We're we're pushing 40. <laughs> but honestly, there's something about sitting on the couch in your in your jammies <laughs> watching Saturday morning cartoons. It's it's such a fun, small thing that just means the world to us. Uh, and it's just fun to see that, uh, to see that moment uh, personified, embodied, you know, and realized there 
with these with these folks uh the brushing their teeth and that's the moment they connected with you know uh we we love to take road trips we love to cook together um you know all these little things uh and it's just part of those things that make the relationships special um day to day yeah the day-to-day stuff that you think oh so mundane or or whatever but then you know it's us trying to maneuver around each other while we're emptying the dishwasher for some reason, or, you know, she's cold. So I, I pull her a little bit closer or, you know, I'll open my sweatshirt and just hold it open so she can put her arms around me and I'll close her up in my sweatshirt or something like that. It's, you know, those are the things that really make it special. Okay. Before, before I continue down this path and start to cry, uh, Let, let's let's move on. Do do we do you have any other thoughts before we uh, before we get to our stat section? Yeah. So I did want to ask you, since you were talking about the relationship between Colbert and Stamets mm-hmm. in this episode, we do get to see sort of a reuniting of Laurel and Vogue. Yeah. And we didn't get as much screen time of them together as we do Stamets and Colbert. Right. However, I felt that their bond from the get-go between Laurel and Vogue was so good. And she was good for him. He was good for her. He makes the sacrifice. They're, they're wanting to unite the Klingons. Like there's so much good in their relationship. And then he gets Ash Tyler, right? Yeah. And then develops this relationship with Burnham. And so there's this little triangle going on. But with Burnham, you know, off on the Sharon, Sharon, Voke gets united with Laurel. And when in their brig, she just embraces him. And I felt the pain because she doesn't want him, but does. Like mm-hmm. there's this conflict that he made his choice and that choice ended our relationship. But I'm still going to have compassion on him because I love him. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating to look at the dynamic of their relationship because I think it was in it might have been in episode two where they where Volk and Laurel go over to a ship to extract either oh, like a like yes. a data core or something like that. It's a shall we, cute. Shall we uncouple? Right, right. Yes. Oh, it's such a I, the the romantic. Uh, the romantic episode could have started right there. Like that, that is, that is clearly a meet cute. We are getting this very sweet moment amidst the, the horror and devastation of the battle of the binary stars. Uh, but we get this moment between Valk and Laurel. And I wonder had things been different, you know, would, would their destinies still have intertwined? Would, you know, if not for the battle of the binary stars, would they, would their paths have even crossed? Would they be these, uh, these star-crossed lovers? Uh, you know, would they have, would they have still gotten together and would they have made the same decisions? Because it seems like a lot of their stuff is they have this great love for each other that only comes second to their love of the empire. And it makes me think of, Certain things, uh, certain individuals who have been prevalent in the news uh, regarding their thoughts and feelings about certain 
issues of the day, but then they, you know, they they claim that it's the, because they love their country so much, so much, or they love their religion so much that they are doing X, Y, or Z, which are clearly not peaceful acts <laughs> or or any form of peace, really. Um, you know, it makes me think of that sort of delusion of of whatever it is that makes people do these types of things in the name of love or in the name of uh, commitment to a higher to a higher power. Any 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 thoughts about any of that? <laughs> yes, that higher ideal. Um, you're sort of leading into my next. <laughs> comment that I wanted to talk about. Oh, good. Vaulting the name of the episode, vaulting ambition. Uh And that's, that's what it is. We see that in Laurel and Vogue, they want this, they're reaching for the stars. And as I was watching this episode, sometimes I'm a little deft with uh, titles. And I was like, okay, why is this? And I heard Giorgio speak it and that complaining to Lorca you know, that he had this vaulting ambition, da, 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 da. Well, I'm like, okay, well, Giorgio, she definitely has vaulting ambition because she's the emperor. Uh, we know that Lorca has vaulting ambition because he wants to overthrow Giorgio. And then we have Burnham, who's prime Burnham, pretending to be in mere universe. And she's pretending this vaulting ambition of I've captured Lorca for you. The only one... Burnham, who doesn't really have this vaulting ambition, she's the prime where all the others are the mirror. And so it almost begs the question, is vaulting ambition really worth it? Mm. I think Star Trek is saying, if you're in the mirror universe, then yeah, you're going to do anything you can so that you are number one, but contrast that to how Burnham solves the situation and becomes vulnerable to Giorgio and reveals the truth about where she is to save her life, to get everyone back. Like that's the opposite of vaulting ambition. Yeah. You know, it makes me think of, um, there was an episode, a few, a few episodes back where they talked where it was Tilly unsure that she would be able to portray and convince someone that she was her mirror universe counterpart. And I think she was saying that, you know, the, the energy that they put forth this, you know, this anger, this, uh, very, uh, antagonistic way of approaching life. She wasn't sure if she could, you know, that she was scared that she couldn't, you know, convey that convincingly. And it was Burnham to say they act this way out of fear. So if you uh, take a look at that, uh, you know, and really try to embody the idea of being afraid all the time, that this is what is driving these folks to to behave this way. This what is, it is what is driving the Terran Empire to function the way it does. It is fear. And I look at this couple, this very sweet couple of Laurel and Valk, um, who, you know, who are in this they're in this place because they feel or they've been led to believe that the Federation is coming to steal their individuality and to erase their culture to a degree. So I think part of that is that blinding 
you know, that blinding love, that first love type feeling combined with this fear of the moment. When those two things mesh, you get a lot of bad decisions <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. of like, hey, we're going to modify your body and turn you into this, uh, turn you into this sleeper agent for the good of the empire. Like, mm-hmm. and, and you're not going to know who you are. Uh, we're going to mess with your brain. We're going to pulverize parts of your, the bones of your body. Oh my God. Uh, but yeah, I think looking at, you know, the ambition I feel like I feel like that's coupled with the fear of just kind of okay, so and so is going to stab me in the back, so I gotta I gotta go as far as possible. I gotta I gotta reach the heights so that so that I'm on top of the mountain looking down. You know, I want the high ground. Um, which you know that's that ambition. So you know how that manifests with Laurel and Valk ends up becoming this sort of desperate times call for desperate measures. Mm-hmm. And they end up putting their love on hold to accomplish this thing, which for a reason that doesn't exist, they're fighting, they're fighting these folks who are, we come in peace. <laughs> um. Anyways, uh, any, any, any other notes that you got? This is, this is great. This is great stuff. Okay. One last thing that we must discuss and the horror of this episode mm. Uh, Giorgio, and you're like this little device, um, head slicing device. Can we say, I saw that and I must have blocked it from my mind. Um, I don't do horror very well. That's why when you said, have you watched this? I'm like, no, never heard no, of it. No, of course um, not. <laughs> that was evil. Like so evil you are gonna kill just because they heard something and you're only gonna leave one alive like the the fear that that guy has you know i will make you you know custodian of this da 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 um and the the pain that Lorca goes through again credit to jason isaacs for that acting in the agonizer um and then Giorgio feeding burnham ganglia like, <laughs> the a level of mirrorness, if I can just use that word, sure. in this episode really turned my stomach. And th- th- this is the most drastic of universes that we've seen in Trek. Yeah. Because Deep Space Nine, come on. <laughs> Enterprise, much better, much better. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one was evil stomach gross horror terror fear all wrapped up into the mirror universe and right. so that was that was huge and it stands out in this episode yeah I, yeah you're absolutely right i think i uh you know an episode or two ago uh was discussing the nature of the mirror universe in discovery when juxtaposed with the mirror universe in legacy Trek, and of course the mirror universe in TOS, whereas TOS was very, it was still very campy. It was just kind of like, Oh, we don't have sleeves and everybody's kind of like, Err. and then the stuff from legacy Trek uh, mirror universe was very piratey. It was, yeah. it was, you know, it was okay. It's everybody and they're bad guys and we can see midriffs and, you know, trips got a scar on his face. That's how we know it's the mirror universe, but discovery starts on such a dark note of 
Burnham's family's killed and she's on board and there's a mutiny and the war starts like that's a lot of dark stuff right off the bat. So for the mirror universe to match up to that, they had to swing super dark with mirror universe. And it's just kind of like, yeah, let's take this turbo lift to the bridge. And only one person gets out alive. Like just, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so pick one. We're going to eat them for dinner. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. and, and I think the horror of that coupled with the awkwardness of her feeding her with the chopsticks and just <laughs> and Burnham chewing and trying to swallow just that really trying to hold it down yeah. yeah oh my god so uh before we move on um do you like sushi I love sushi have have you always loved sushi because my first experience wasn't that great <laughs> and it made me think it made me think of this like uh, when I got together with my wife, we uh, we she introduced a lot of my wife's very classy. So she introduced things to me like drinking wine out of a wine glass, like, uh, you know, having uh, sushi, real sushi uh, and, you know, experiencing all those things. So we went to a sushi place. I, you know, I'd never had sushi and I was just kind of like, it's raw fish and it's rice. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Give me the, give me the chef's, give me the chef special. My wife was like, you do not want to start with the chef special. And I was like, Hey, come on. It's all, it's all, it's, it's all rice, seaweed and, and raw fish. Like it's they're they're It's not an issue. Like they're, they're practically all the same thing. Right. So she brought it. Uh, they, they brought me the chef special. And I put that first piece in and that, that raw, that raw fish hit my tongue. And it was just kind of like, nope. (laughs) And she's like, okay, clearly that's not going to work. What you need to start with is, I think she started me with a cucumber roll. It's like, it's cut up cucumber and rice and seaweed. Try that. Okay. Try that. That's not too bad. Okay. Now we're going to step you up to a California roll. Okay. Uh Stepped up to the California roll. And then after that, we stepped up to rainbow. Rainbow, rainbow I think there was, it was not long after that. And after, I think after the rainbow, it was just kind of like, oh yeah, I'm good for all this stuff. <laughs> so um, have you ever had an instance like that where it was just like, hey, try this thing. It's really good. It's very classy. And you put it in your mouth and you're just like, nope, I'm a trash bucket. <laughs> this is not, <laughs> I'm not made for high classy food. <laughs> well, thankfully I started liking sushi as an adult. Um, and I started with, all the rolls. So I was like, oh yeah, I love the rolls. Da, da, da. And then you get the, you know, on top. And so I was like, yeah, I love that. And then you order sashimi and it was like, okay, I'm can eat this raw fish. Yes, yes, yes. And I went down to Mazatlan and this is what's changed my mind. And I took this tour, we were downtown and the guy's like, here's a or we were walking by the taxi driver's like, you know, this place is really good. And it was like, I don't even know where we were. It, I We were probably a little unsafe. It was not the best part of town. It was not touristy at all, <laughs> but it's where they brought in the fish from the sea, from their fishing. And so we sit down and I'm like, let's order. And tuna was, is my favorite. It came out like 50 pieces and, and there were 10 of us. So, oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, and I asked everyone, do you like sushi? 
And in my mind, I'm thinking sashimi because I knew where we were. We were where the fish get brought in. Oh yeah, we love sushi. Yeah, yeah. It came out, the look on their faces. I was excited. And they were like, I can't eat this. I'm like, I asked you if you like sushi. So they (laughs) were not happy with me. And I can tell you, Todd, it was the best tuna. It was caught right off the boat, sliced up fresh. Oh, scrumptious, but yeah. I, so, so, uh, I live in Greenville, South Carolina. That's where I first tried, you know, sushi, um, at little restaurant hole in the wall place, you know, uh, a ways from the house. But few years after that, the wife and I moved to Florida where all the seafood is fresh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like fresh. They got it that morning. <laughs> Uh, and we found an, another l- look, if you're looking for good, if you're looking for a good restaurant of any kind, and I think Amy would probably agree with me on this. If you're looking for a good restaurant of any kind, find the one that just is in a hole in the wall type place. Um, you know, it's, it's run, it, it is run by the people who opened the doors. Like <laughs> it's usually one spouse is on the grill. The other spouse is in the front of the house. The kids are working the drive-through if there is a drive-through or, you know, they're, they're busting tables and stuff like that. It is a family owned and operated type joint. Those places are always just mwah, so good. Mm-hmm. So we moved to Florida and we found this nice, uh, again, sort of hole in the wall type sushi place. And they had, we always liked the rolls that had barbecue eel. Um, and it was, you know, a, sort of a combination of the meat itself with the with the sauce and the whole thing. It was just delicious. And we had a server at this restaurant say, have you ever tried sea eel? Most eel that people are having are probably, you know, it's freshwater, you know, farm, farm raised. That's that type of thing. But what you need to try is sea eel. And it was like, well, yeah, let's try it. And they brought and I always confuse uh, sashimi and nigiri. What's the one where it's on the lump of rice? Nigiri. Oh no. I, I get them confused too. I just say sashimi and then hope people know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Well, they, they brought it to us on the lump of rice, which whichever way that is. And it was, it was the most buttery, Mm. just fall apart, tender. It was seasoned just right. Cut perfectly. I was just like, well, I'm going to be chasing this for the rest of my life. Yes. <laughs> it was so, so good. <laughs> yes. As I've been chasing that tuna. So, <laughs> right, right. Oh, gosh. Well, uh, you know, we mentioned a lot of things going on in this episode with a lot of different people. But as we do every week, lovingly, we have to ask the question who do we blame? Uh, this episode was written by Jordan Nardino, whose first credit was season one, episode five of threat matrix from 2003 uh jordan was a researcher on that everybody's got to start somewhere uh jordan's first writing credit however was season six episode 14 you've been gilmored of gilmore girls so hi gary here's your gilmore girls reference uh (laughs) my friend gary who works with the national wrestling alliance adores gilmore girls so Mm. 
got to throw Gary a little shout out there. Uh, Jordan would go on to write 26 episodes of Desperate Housewives from 2008 to 2009. In 2017, Jordan became a co-executive producer of a little show called Star Trek Discovery for 13 episodes. And then this is the first of two scripts that Jordan worked on in the franchise. So we've got one more of his writing to uh, to look forward to. So I'm really surprised that I don't know this name. However, we know season one of Discovery had a lot of shifts in writing. Uh-huh. So he's no longer with Discovery, correct? Uh, the 13 episodes were uh, from 2017 to 2019. So not part hmm. of the current production and only wrote two scripts. So, yeah. Huh. Okay. Okay. Do you recognize the name from something else other than Star Trek? No. I mean, I loved Desperate Housewives. That was a Ah. must-see TV for me. So that's interesting to see that. I fell in love with Terry Hatcher back on uh, Lois and Clark. Uh, mm. New Adventures of Superman. That uh, was another. It was another a few years after Deanna Troy. You know, hey young man. Well, I fell we, in uh, love with her on Next Generation. That's true. Yep, Terry Hatcher made a fantastic appearance, looking mm-hmm. absolutely adorable as the transporter, as the transporter chief. Yes, believe for an episode. Yeah, uh, yeah. She uh, look look looking like a baby just. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, she's uh, she's adorable, of course. Uh, this episode was directed by Hanel M. Culpepper. Okay, Hanley. Hanley, thank yes. you. I had the honor and pleasure of interviewing her uh, when during Discovery. So yeah, Hanley. Yes. Okay, you heard it here, folks. Hanley. This episode was directed by Hanley M. Culpepper, who uh, got a BA from Lake Forest College and her MA from USC's Annenberg School. Uh, Her first writing and directing gig was a short called The Wedding Dress from 2002. Uh, Shortly after that, uh, she did another short called A Single Rose, which won her an Outstanding Director Award from Sacramento Gaffers. After that, she did another short, How to Stand in Line for Star Wars. I tried to find that. I couldn't, I couldn't find it. Have you seen it? Yes. So when I interviewed her, she sent me the link and I really thought it was on YouTube, but now I'm remembering she, yeah, sent me that link. Uh, Yeah. Really interesting the way that she directed that. I mean, because that's more similar to like what Denise Crosby with Trekkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's more like in your face and there's, you know, going through the crowds and stuff, but it's, it's very good. Nice. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll look for it. Cause, uh, or if you've got a copy that you're willing to send me, that'd be, that'd be great. I know I might have it. I'll go okay. look. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, so Hannah Lee would go on to do episodes of Sleepy Hollow, Grim, Castle, American Gothic, Quantico, Gotham, lucifer flash and supergirl so she's got nerd credit out the wazoo Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is her first of three episodes directing in the franchise and so we've got some more to look forward to from hanley and culpepper uh in terms of guest stars pretty light this week we've got returning of course michelle yo as Giorgio and mary chifo as laurel so 
Amy, now we come to the question we've asked every week for quite a while now. Is this essential viewing? If somebody is sitting and watching Star Trek through for the first time and they come to this episode, is this one that they can skip or is this a must-see episode? You cannot skip this episode. Absolutely. Too much <laughs> happens in this story. I mean, just even the A plot that we were discussing, mm -hmm. much less all the many B plots in there. Yeah. Uh, the Laurel Vogue, the uh, Stamets, Colbert, but we get the reveal that Lorca is Mir. And we talked about how beautiful that sequence was. We get the reveal that Burnham opens up and tries to convince Mir, Giorgio, to do the right thing, which is crazy as I say the words coming out of my mouth. <laughs> um, so there's too much happening that you have to watch this. It's, it's an insane. And can I add why people should watch discovery in general. Absolutely. You go right ahead of why this is a must view. Yeah. I really do feel because I'm sort of out there amongst the fans on social media and podcasting for so long discovery with the new Trek, I think is at the bottom. A lot of people don't like it. Okay. Um, I've, and, I've heard, I've heard similar sentiments. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess I won't say won't like it, but it's not their favorite. And to be fair, yes, it's not my favorite as well, but I still love it. Yeah. Um, the, what, what impresses me most with discovery is how creative and unique are the thought processes and the ideas of the aliens, of the wars, of the things that we're fighting, of the ideals I mean, just to name a few, as I was thinking about it, like programmable matter. Hello. That is insanely creative. Uh -huh. The mycelial network, that species 10 C non-corporeal, but yet was so relatable. Mm -hmm. The burn in season three, the red angel, like these are technologies and ideas and stories that are unique that haven't been told before. I have been podcasting. I have a series on all good things where we look at the same story in different iterations, mm -hmm. like because it happens. Oh, we're going to have this. Uh, I'm being tortured or we're going to have this time travel. Like they are combining time travel. They're combining mirror universes, all of these things, but in a new and fresh way. Yeah. Now, whether you like it or not, fine. But that needs to be said and how wonderful of a series discovery is just for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, we got from 87 to the early to the early to mid 2000s with Legacy Trek. And then it was the Dark Ages for a good long while. I mean, whether or not you include the Kelvin timeline is, you know, is up to each individual fan. but. In terms of Star Trek on television and presenting new ideas and presenting, you know, new technologies and, you know, the creativity, like you just said, it was, it was dark. It was, it was a dark time, you know, 2005 to 2017. That's a, that's a good long while without Star Trek. And then to see stuff start popping off with Discovery. And then, you know, we've got five, ep we've got five different series running right now in, mm -hmm. of Star Trek, uh, the most that there has ever been. Uh, at one point. Um, yeah, this is, this is just top notch. 
uh, all the way around. And a lot of things that I, to, to be honest, when I've talked with folks who don't like discovery or who don't like lower decks or who don't like Picard, whatever, and I'm not saying I don't have issues with those things either, but at the same time, the folks that are super adamant about it, I'm always curious. And I always ask, okay, so what don't you like? And it's rare that they give me an argument that makes sense. Right. It's actually better. And fans, please learn this. <laughs> if you don't like something, just say it's not for you. Because if you're going to try, if you're going to try to come up with a rational argument, be prepared. I mean, we're all fans. We're all uber nerds. Do you think someone hasn't put together the arguments and the, and the retorts for all of these things? I did it on Facebook the other day for fun. Like... <laughs> <laughs> there's people have thought about this. So your best bet, if you don't like something is to just say, Oh, it's just not for me because you can't argue with that. Yep. So, <laughs> um, Oh people... yes. I have had full on debates with myself because I am answering myself because I know all the arguments. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You're absolutely right. And I mean, there's folks who I've heard, I don't like it for, I, quote unquote, I don't like it because everything under the sun from acting to directing, to writing, to production design, to costumes, to you name it. I've heard, I've heard them all. And each one I'm like, I'm thinking really, because you know, it's doing really well because <laughs> it's doing really, really well. So not just somebody, but somebody's really like it. <laughs> exactly. Um, and again, and again, it's art, so it's a matter of taste, but mm -hmm. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, Amy, thank you so much for taking the time out of your, what sounds like an extremely busy schedule <laughs> to come on and uh, and talk, uh, talk some Trek with me. Uh, any parting thoughts before we start to wrap it up on the episode, on the franchise, on uh, your experience here on the podcast? Anything before we go? Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. I was a little nervous. I don't know why. I mean, I've been podcasting forever, <laughs> um, but I really feel like Todd, we had a good connection. We had a good discussion. We got in depth. We had fun talking sushi. Like it's yes. was very relaxed and enjoyable. And I'm sure that's why your listeners uh, enjoy listening to you because you made it very comfortable. So thank you. Oh, that's very kind of you to say. Thank you so much again. Well, folks, he may have bested me on Trexpert's quiz, but that's okay because he has the most buttery shoulders in California. Next week, we will be joined once again by Matt Jennings to discuss Discovery Season 1, Episode 13, What's Past is Prologue, which is available exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Amy, where can people find your plethora of podcasts and support them online? Well, please go check us out, BQN Podcasts. We're there on Twitter. We're there on Facebook. Um, we have, I personally co-host three of the shows there, Union Federation, which talks about Star Trek and the Orville. Oh my gosh, Ooh. that has been so much fun because we all know Orville is Star Trek. Uh, clearly. Yes. Uh, have a show called All Good Things, uh, which covers the classic trek as it were oh but we're getting some of the new stuff we're covering all of it that's why we called it all good things of course and my favorite and longest running galaxy class which talks about next generation 
and we will be going live on YouTube. So if you can search that out, we're going live and covering season three of the card because we're taking that as a TNG season. I mean, you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? (laughs) Yeah. So very exciting. Good things coming up with the network. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. Um, I am on Facebook again, BQN Collective and on Instagram at BQN Podcast. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials from all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you in 10 forward. Like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to ComputerResumePodcasts at gmail.com or at ComputerResume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume Podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop. And our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn. And the voice of Computer Resume Podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods. And we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?